As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This episode of Uncorking Story is brought to you by Mike Carlin's novel, All the Fucks I Cannot Give. The name says it all, folks. This book will take you on a wild journey of self-discovery. From the beaches of Hawaii to the concrete jungle of New York City and to the hidden swinger scene in the Chicago suburbs. All the Fucks I Cannot Give will have you belly laughing on every page. Pick it up in paperback, ebook, or audiobook format wherever books are sold online. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to bring to you my interview with the one and only comedian, Nick Breen. Um, and you're going to hear his voice in a minute, but before you do, I've got a couple things I want to share with you. Number one, I've got a couple of dates coming up. So uh, Fairfield Craft Ales with uh, the Comedy Unhinged on the Road show, August 10th in Stratford. Also, uh, September 14th in Richfield, Connecticut, I will be with uh, guys including Greg Fatteroli, Ish Gupta, uh, Alex Tomaselli, and Cliff Mula. Uh, that'll be KFO in Ridgefield. Very cool place to see a show. Um I saw Greg's uh, show there a couple of weekends ago, and uh, it's a very intimate atmosphere, but um, very welcoming for comedy. So if you're around, uh, please come come see either of those shows. August 10th, Fairfield Craft Ales. That's the comedy unhinged down the road, and um, that's in Stratford, Connecticut, and then uh, September 14th in Ridgefield at CAFO. Um, okay, so uh, on to my interview with Nick Breen. Um, uh, now, this might come to a shock uh, to many of you, but... I don't make my living doing comedy. And I know that that could be hard to believe. I'm actually a professional interviewer um, by training, and I put my skills to work for companies that hire me to do uh, focus groups um, on topics all ranging from you know new product development to advertising and user experience. Anyways, as part of that, I actually meet a lot of successful people. And people these are people who have an idea, they translate it into some kind of product or service, and then they launch it. Um, and that takes a lot of grit. That takes a lot of determination. It also um, takes a lot of ambition. And that's one thing that can't be taught is ambition. If I were hiring somebody, 
Um, I would actually take an ambitious person over somebody who's got all the right credentials but has never had a hustle in their life. And, and the point I'm getting to here is that Nick Breen is a hustler, um, probably in many senses of the word in his past anyway. Um, I'll admit it that when I first met Nick, he scared the hell out of me um, because he gets up on stage. He talks about being in prison. He talks about drugs. He even makes a joke about suicide, um, which concerned me. Actually, one day I, I reached out to him afterwards. I'm like, um, dude, that, that joke you do with the belt, uh, do we, we have to worry because the world needs you. You know, the world needs more funny people. And uh, he's like, no, man, don't worry. It's just a joke. Um, but so that, that made me a little bit more relieved. But anyway, the point is, he scared me. Like, I didn't know what to think of this guy. He's kind of a monster. Um, but as time goes on, every time I've seen him take the stage – I see him make a connection with the audience. I see him take risks. And, you know, there's no doubt about the fact that he's a risk taker when he, when he talks about some of the things that he talks about. Um, but he's also a guy who is constantly trying to get better every single time he goes up. And I have a ton of respect for that. He's always asking questions. Um, you know, he asked me to film a couple of his sets, which I did, and I sent him some edits for. You know, it, it just shows me that he's always learning his craft. He's always honing what he's doing. And, and I've got nothing but respect for that. So I wanted to actually kind of get under his, I don't want to say get under his skin, maybe get into his brain a little bit. That could be a scary place though. Um, so I had him over, we had a great conversation and in this conversation, I really wanted to dig in what makes him tick comedically, you know, what drives him comedy wise. And to do that, uh, I'm going to ask that you join me on a little trip. Um, and using the word trip is intentional, um, because this is Nick Breen we're talking about, but this trip starts in Westchester County, New York. It goes over to the Bay area of California and then off to rural Illinois before finally coming to a stop in Milford, Connecticut. Um, along the way, we take a deep dive into the range of life experiences that Nick has had along the way, all of which you will find influence what propels him forward and why he bears his soul on stage. So everybody, buckle into your five-pointer strengths because here is my interview with the one and only Nick Breen. I mean, really, come on. They're doing the heroin addicts a favor with that fentanyl. Put some fucking fentanyl in the coke and put me out of my misery. Cocaine <laughs> is supposed to make you fucking skinny. Look at me. It just makes me get to McDonald's faster. <laughs> What do you need? No, don't worry about it, Coach. Sure. Yeah, that's an old stool. We don't... Uh, I'll get old this. stool. <laughs> that was my nickname in high school. <laughs> old stool. Old stool. Dude, nice. I saw I saw Dice last night. You did? How I was did. it? Oh, dude. He destroyed... I mean, completely... The, the room wasn't full, which I thought was interesting. So I could have went. You could have gone. You could have gone. And there was this couple... It's funny. I went with my brother. There was this couple... Like two tables over from us. First of all, shout out to Sam Hunter because he saw me come in and put me in a great seat. Um, so me and brother Jimmy got uh, got some That's awesome. seating. That's um, awesome. And uh, yeah, what a what a guy. Um, but there was this couple, like young couple, like a couple tables over from us, and she was clearly not into Dice's stuff at all. And you know, he's doing the whole. He's doing Dice like he's. And you could tell the guy wanted to laugh, but he was afraid to laugh in front of his date. Oh, that's the worst, because then she's going to look at him some type of way. <laughs> she's going to be like, wow, 
You really think it's funny? <laughs> you really think it's funny? He's talking about smacking a baby down the stairs. <laughs> and and I'm going to have a family with you? <laughs> but we're not here to talk about dice. We're here to talk about Nick Breen. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Here I'm excited to be here. We're here in, uh, in my house in Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, this is uh, my office. I sleep in that bed sometimes. When, when you get trouble. in trouble. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was in it last night. Good. It looks comfortable. It is. It was a bed in a box. I bought it off of Amazon. You know, so it's one of those things where it comes rolled What up. did shipping cost on something? Oh, the mattress. The mattress. Not the bed. Okay. No, no the, the frame I, we, I've had for I years. That would cost a lot of money to ship on Amazon. Oh, yeah. No, the frame uh, frame was not. The frame what was do you have? A Casper? A Lisa? I don't know what that thing is. It's, um, yeah, it was an Amazon special. But it I came, want a Casper. It came rolled up and then it like inflate, inflated or unfolded over like four or five hours and Fucking nice, man. We can take a ride on it later if you want. <laughs> depending on how this afternoon goes. Could be the yeah, best de- opportunity depending, to get. Depending on how many of these sea hags I drink, <laughs> you might start to look better and better. So, Nick Breen, you um, you are one of the, when I first, I first started going up to Bridgeport Stress Factory, Vinnie Brand Stress Factory, for yes. those of you who don't know, um, back in January of this year. And you've, I've seen you there every, just about every single time I've been there. And you, you amazed me because, first of all, I was scared to death of you. Like, <laughs> I see this guy with this big red beard, this long red hair, and, and you have no fear of anything you talk about up there. And I'm like, who, who is this animal who's talking about, you know, taking his belt and hanging himself and being in jail and all that stuff? And I'm like, <laughs> uh... This guy scares me, but then, like, as I got to know you and see you, I'm like, you—you you are one of these guys who has so much ambition, in ambition for comedy and performing, that it's like it's really—I mean, I don't want to get too emotional. It's really inspiring. Thank you. Know? you. It's that, very inspiring. that means a lot to me because performing is important to me, as as much as it's all about the attention and the feeling that I get from the crowds. The crowds have to get that feeling to give it to me. Yeah. So it's like kind of a, a symbiotic relationship where we both we both hopefully get a lot from it. Well, I want to dig into where this like love or a need to perform came from you or within you. So can 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 you trace it back somewhere? Like when did you have a sense that you wanted to be a performer or that this was something that you know you were good at? I've always fallen into leadership roles, even from a young age, student council president in elementary school, you know, undefeated in those elections. Thank you very much, fourth and fifth grade, Um, to being in, you know, the school plays and having larger speaking roles, Um, not really being too into it at that age, but doing it and then ending up enjoying it. Yeah. Um, Where looking back, realizing I did enjoy the process. Uh, there's something about the camaraderie of performers. We're yeah. a different group of people. It's I, I agree. Like I started doing um, like this is gonna sound funny because I can't sing, but I started doing musicals in high school and like even in like elementary school. Like I got, you know, I got to play Jesus in a passion play, which was nice. <laughs> which was nice. There's no better way to get picked on, by the way, than when you get tapped to play Jesus in the passion play. Oh, definitely. You know, it, um, you know, you must have gotten crucified every day at lunch. Oh my God. It was terrible. My sides were being, uh, you know, pierced. You know, <laughs> I woke up one day with the stigmata coming out of my hands. 
No, but I realized that I didn't have a fear of getting in front of people and doing stuff. Well, the fear thing is, is for me, comes from something else. It comes from living um, kind of on the other side of the law and and uh, and doing things that that kind of are not the norm in society. Once you've embarrassed yourself to the max, you know, once you've been arrested in front of your family, um, once you've been beat up a, a number of times, you know, gotten a number of fights, whatever it is, you just, it, it's, you become numb. You become jaded. Embarrassment is not a thing. Right. I mean, once, once you've done it all to yourself through drug addiction, whatever, trust me, there's plenty of embarrassing moments for a drug addict. I'm sure. Almost daily. And we'll, we'll, we'll I'll dig into that in a minute, but it, but this thing, this, this but you noticed at a young age that, performing and being in front of people was something that you were deriving some energy from? Well, yes. And then at this point, at this age, I'm 34. Um, I'm a third of the way done. If I make it to 102, I think. Right. I ain't going to make it to 102. <laughs> That's really wishful thinking, being very optimistic there. I'll tell you, um, my, my, my 45th birthday is coming up. And I think the conservative estimate on me is like 55. I don't know. <laughs> I look at Keith Richards, man. He's, he's still chugging along. but You got to keep the brine right in the brain. That's why you got you to gotta keep drinking and using because it kind of pickles you. That's right. Keeps you preserved. Listen to that, kids. This as is soon a public- as you stop, as soon as you stop, you're going to die. Well, that's for quitters. Um, public service announcement by Nick Breen for all the kids out there. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. But no, being 34, um, this is kind of like the last chance. This train is leaving the station for me to make a career yeah. and have enough time to where it can blossom into something successful and enjoy what I'm doing. Well, you were, I mean, before the comedy stuff, you were performing um, as, a, as, a, as a singer, right? As, as a, a hip-hop artist. Hip-hop artist, yeah. Yeah, well, they sing in hip hop, right? I mean, it's a it's it's vocals, it's vocalizations. Vocals. Yeah, I mean, we're not talking Michael Bublé here. It's uh, no, but I do enjoy singing Bublé. Why not? I do. En- if I could have my dream job, would be to be in a Jimmy Buffett cover band, or just to be Jimmy Buffett. Now, if if my wife heard you say that, she'd make you leave the house because she and I disagree on on our stance on Jimmy Buffett. Buffett is a an enigma. And then the guy, so look, you've got the whole beach bum persona thing, but he's also Which like. he created and made into a business. Multi like billion dollar he business. He is a billionaire. He is. He is. I mean, now he's got, you know, the, the line of foods, the restaurants, the, he's got a nursing Retirement home. homes. Retirement homes. Not even nursing homes, retirement communities, uh, fully inclusive communities, golf courses, all the amenities, pools, rec centers, everything. Mm-hmm. I got, he used to come up to Connecticut every summer at the – it used to be the Meadows Music Theater. Now it's um, the Xfinity Center, you know, that amphitheater up near Hartford? Yes. And I used to drag her to those shows. We'd tailgate all afternoon in the parking lot. Uh, my brother's sister's like – it was a whole family event, and she just miserable the whole time. Not a parrot head. Not a parrot head, but how do you get miserable at a Jimmy Buffett concert? It's like the happiest place in the world. You must be miserable then. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's just not her thing. Not her thing. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you on the Jimmy Buffett. I don't know, man. I question anybody. No offense. I question anyone who can be miserable at a Buffett concert. I know. It's, Maybe yep. you just kept skipping her when you guys were passing the joint around. <laughs> That's what happened. And I don't blame her. 
Well, we've been trying to get her to uh, enjoy that, and uh, there's a fair amount of resistance there. But Well, I know you got two 17-year-olds, so I made sure to lock my car. I got three 17-year-olds. Oh, you got three. Oh, yeah, triplets. Yeah, there you go. We kept the third. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah Glenn, ah. It's funny. Glenn Rising the other night, he comes up to me. He's like, I got a joke for you. And I'm like, what's that, Glenn? He's like, uh, you tell everybody you had quads, but uh, you selectively reduced. And I'm like, that's actually hilarious. I, well, you know what? It, it, I guess like I could not deliver that line authentically, you know. But and he's like, I'm like, well, why? Why did we reduce? He's like, ah, because you found out one of them was going to be a priest. I'm like, I'm like, okay, but you know, uh, I didn't, um, I didn't, I, I'm not taking that joke. What would be that. more of a um, a legitimate reason to reduce? Uh, Thin the herd. If you found out one was going to be a priest or if one was going to be retarded, oh god! You know that's that's a that, that's a that's a. Uh, you, you could say the two are mutually exclusive, depending on your your oh, attitude towards the man. priesthood. But yeah, um, we're in, we're going we're going into deep waters right there. I know shark infested waters. I think the chum is uh, the chum is in the water. Yeah, right we're, now. I'm chumming the water just for a little bit of controversy, but that's all right. <laughs> But so now you grew up in California. Yes, for well, for the most part, yeah. Okay, I, I lived in Westchester County. I lived in right down the road in Bedford, Mount Kisco. Okay, so you're really right up, right? Yeah, that's not far at all from here. That's not far at all. When I go running, like I head up towards Bedford. Like it was uh, 1996. Okay, 97, 96 when we moved to California. So what what brought you guys out to California? Ah, my father's job. Okay, he had uh, he had gotten the account for Sun Microsystems to help them launch Java. And he was uh, in charge of opening up the new office out there. Brought it from, I think, four people to over 70. So who was – was he working for Sun or was he working for a supplier? Yeah, he, he, no, he worked for uh, an ad agency, Lowen Partners. Oh, I know. Oh, sure, I know Lowen Partners. I mean I grew up in the ad, ad agency business. Okay, he worked for Scally before that. I think okay. he worked for Y&R. Yeah, 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 sure. So he's an agency guy. Oh, yeah. Is he still in the agency business or – Oh, no, he's retired. He left uh, – Probably in 2004 or five, and started his own consulting business, uh, eventually convincing Lawrence Livermore Labs, one of our five national labs, that they needed someone with experience in branding to help them market themselves to their funding source. Okay. Pretty smart. I don't know how an ad, how an ad guy could help a government agency. Yeah. They don't really have to advertise, but he convinced them they had to do something. Yeah. So – all right, so so, but then you go, then you guys are out in kind of northern California, yep. like uh, yep. we're out in Contra Costa County. Okay, so what was it like growing up in California? It was awesome. Yeah, I look back, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I had a lot of experiences that I'm sure my mother wishes I didn't have. Uh, I did a lot of things that uh, were highly ethically questionable. Yeah, but I learned a lot. What do you, what do you, what did you take away from those experiences? Well, one of the things you take away from being in jail, jail is like a great microcosm for society and all of the biases and all of the uh, little like idiosyncrasies of living in like a large society are kind of amplified because you've got a lot of men and it's all men in close quarters. Um, and even even with women, with the, the female guards, you get to see an amplified version of the dynamic between women and men. It's It's very, very interesting. It's like... If you were a sociologist and you could go to jail for like, you know, a year and just immerse yourself in it, it's all, it's just, it's a very amplified version of what's going on in our culture. So it's, it's, is it, um, cause I think, you know, 
in terms of like criminal justice and why we send people to jail. Well, you learn about people. Yeah, but what, there's all different types in jail. You learn about people, and and you know there's always an angle on everything. You learn a lot. But so you, you, it's like another form of education. Oh, big time. So we have a, a, a friend of mine uh, who I, w- I will not name, but he uh, he's from Arthur Avenue in the Bronx. And he's a lot of friends uh, who, who they call it going to college. Yeah, but that's more for the – well, you know, everyone assumes that it's more for the criminal aspect. Oh, you're going to learn how to be a better criminal. That's what they always say. Um, one of the best parts, uh, mostly all criminals, unless you're a petty thief, are in some level confidence men, uh, con men. Yeah. Um, most people don't know that it stands for confidence because yeah. you're making people have confidence in you and then you're taking advantage of it. Um, right. so uh, part of that education is definitely learning about people and, and, and learning about all the different hustles that people have. And, but do you and think the you- ways that people will try to get over on you or the ways that people get over on each other or interact or, you know, how you can learn to count on um, your ability to trust every person you meet. You just trust them to do exactly what you know they're going to do based on the signs that they exhibit. Right. Which you see in jails because they're very exaggerated. But do you, do you feel like there's a rehabilitation that happens in, in jails or do you? In American jails? Yeah. Some. On a very small level, there are some people who are more able to have a real need to not go back, to grasp the, the reality that jail is really just a dead end and it's a repeating cycle that if you don't do something to actively pull yourself out of the patterns that you're engaging in, you will be going back. It has to be a whole change. Uh, hold it. It's like going on a diet when you're overweight. If you just diet and lose the weight, you're going to be fat again. If you change the way you look at food and change the way you look at your relationship with food, then you're going to be successful. Yeah. You have to change your relationship with uh, the way that you think about things. And did, did, did that happen for you? Did you like through, through your experiences, I'm not saying just one, like your first time in jail or anything. No, they eventually beat it into me after, Yeah. you know, Eight, nine, ten years of back and forth, back and forth. I was doing life on the installment plan. I was going to say it sounds like an installment plan of... Oh, yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. It's bad. So uh, when was the last time you were in? Well, I was in Fairfield County's lockup for a very short stint. Um, Maybe in 2018, early 2018, on a marijuana charge. Um, no big deal. But the last time I was in jail in California uh, was March 2013 for a very short stay. And what was that all about? Yeah, it was just some just some bullshit uh, possession charges. Right. They just kind of ran up on me, and I think I had some hash on me, some some concentrated cannabis, and yeah. and maybe some some form of stimulant, cocaine, methamphetamine. I don't know. Yeah. Eh, no big deal. So they you, never filed on it. I'm sure they still can. Yeah. But um, I I don't think they will. They knew I was leaving. So you're you're a, so kind of growing up in California, just kind of going back and forth in the criminal justice system. It's fair to say that you gave your parents kind of a run for their money. Oh, I gave them hell. They are amazing people. And what's your relationship like with them now? It's great. I love to go down and visit them in Florida and play golf with my dad and 
you know, we go out and eat and just have a great time, yeah. hang out. I love them. I talk to my mother almost every day on the phone. Um, if I don't call her for two days, she's calling me worried. Hey, you know, why haven't you called? Um, I talk to my father almost every day or every other day on the phone. So we have a great relationship now. What sad, think- it's sad that it took this long, but. Well, yeah, but at least it, at least it happened. You know, at least it oh, happened. Of course. Um, so where are they in Florida? They're in the villages. Where's that? Oh, that new, is that a, like a new no, thing? No, it's not new. It's old. It's old. It's still expanding. Where 50, is it? 55 square miles located, I believe, in Lake County. It's in Lake County, Sumter County, and another county. It's in three counties. It's huge. Okay. It's great. It's all golf, golf cart accessible. The largest concentration of golf holes, like the largest number quantity yeah. in the world. I think it's 670 oh my or 640 something holes of golf. Um, they have everything. Have you played them all? No, but I'm trying. I've probably played. I've probably played about two hundred. Okay. So let's 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 get back to uh, let's get back to comedy. So um, you leave California. You do you come right to Connecticut? Or- no, I made a stop in Illinois. I lived with my uh, biological mother for a while, which was really a great experience, and I still speak with her. Um, you know, that relationship is still great. I still speak with my siblings. So I, I knew you were adopted because you talk about that on stage, but how did you get back in contact with your biological mother? That's a funny story. It was something that I always wanted to do. And, um, I guess I was just scared to do it, but there was a catalyst. I was at a, at a house with some friends and, and, um, someone was, making some remark about how my mother and I looked the same. And, and I said, well, that's not even my, uh, that's not my biological mother. You know, we act the same for sure. But, um, I, you know, that's the funny thing too, being adopted. We always go out as a family and people are always going, Oh, that's your mom and dad. or Oh, that's your brother. I could tell you guys all look alike. And we all just look at each other and chuckle. It's kind of like a running joke in our family. Um, it, it's, it's interesting you say that because I have my older brother, Greg, um, he's adopted. Um, and I didn't know that until like they, no one told us it was like, a, it wasn't a family secret because he knew they, and my parents told him from a very young age, but for some reason they never decided to tell me and my twin brother that Craig was adopted. So it, it slipped out one night at a family. We had a bunch of like extended family together. And, um, there's this old German woman who was like a friend of the family is like, you know, Michael, you're special because you're the firstborn male of your family. And I'm like, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Auntie Joan, but um, Greg, uh, you know Greg, he's in the other room. Yeah, he's, he's the oldest. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, oh. Then she realized that she let some cat out of the bag. And so later that after, that evening, my, my parents took me aside and my brother aside and said. How old were you? I was I was 13, 14. I'd be pissed. I was, I, I didn't, I wasn't pissed, but I didn't know I was confused. I'd be pissed, hurt, scared, confused, upset. Oh yeah. I I always knew from a very young age that was like a big thing in our family. But, but what's interesting and where I was going with it is, um, uh, I, I worked for my brother. So my brother bought a liquor store in Greenwich and I worked for him and all the customers. So me and my twin brother would work, worked for him. Um, does Cus- he still own it? He does. He owns Glenville Wine and Spirits in uh, Greenwich, Connecticut. Nice. We got to get him to sponsor a show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not a, he does have a, a big place up in Westport, too. 
Um, but the customers used to say, oh, my God, you look just like your brother. <laughs> You've got a spider on your headphones. Do I really? It just dropped down to make a web between this side and your... We're just going to let that go. We're going to let Spider-Man work. I don't have a problem with spiders. Do I? Should I, should I take it off? Um, ah! No, I'm just kidding. Um, where'd it go? It's probably crawling in my skin now. Oh, 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 oh. Look, it's it? on your shirt. It's on your shirt there right there. <laughs> I'll take a spider any day of the week over a tick. Um, Ooh, ticks are really creepy. Ticks are little fuckers. Um, but no, I had customers would say, you look just like Greg. And I'm like, that's funny. And I look nothing like my twin brother. And I'm like, that's, that, that, that's actually my twin. Greg and I just kind of laugh about it. But, um, but, but, uh, but how did you, so how did you track down your birth mom? I went online. Um, I was at a friend's house and I told him, you know, I had, like I said, I had told him I was adopted. Um, and he didn't believe me. I don't believe you. I said, well, I'll fucking prove it to you. Watch this. You got a computer? I went on the computer. I just typed in a few basic things about myself with the keywords adoption, uh, uh, biological, and a registry came up. My biological mother had put some information into a registry. And through the magic of the internet, we were connected i sent a message that said hey i think i'm your biological son and i got an aol instant messenger back uh within 30 minutes tell me what winning a bet and proving that i was adopted but just when when you were sending that email and when you got that instant message what was kind of going through your mind i ended up staying on that computer and having a, a great text conversation it was very long or maybe a couple hours. Um, I always joke. I don't. For some reason, I always asked a lot of topical questions. I asked her if her father had hair when he died, or if he was bald. Were you um, worried about going bald? Obviously, yourself, he had hair because I have a nice <laughs> thick head. You've got a great. Well, um, hey, hey now. Thanks. Great thing. Great thing. Yeah, hair. You're one of my favorite gingers. So, um, that's I. I hear that a lot. That's good. <laughs> Probably from Nick Scopoletti. Oh, yes. I'm his third favorite ginger. <laughs> I think behind like two famous people. <laughs> so I'm all right with that. That's all right. I'm his first favorite civilian ginger. So you're but you're going you, you're on the computer for a while going back and forth with her. Yeah, it was it was it was interesting. A lot of topical stuff, like I said, um, but it was it was a relief. It was good to learn certain things. And it was it was it was a lot of fun. It was very fulfilling. We continued that relationship at some point because um, I was deep into uh, uh, some drug addictions at that time. I, I wasn't the most communicative with her, and, and I cut it off for a little while, not out of for any reason, just because I was consumed with uh, the getting and using of illicit substances. Yep. And it was my mother who, to- who uh, periodically would ask me, hey, do you still talk with Marcy? That's not fair. You can't do that. You can't open up communication. She was the one who really pushed me back into it. How did how did your your adopted parents feel when they found out you tracked down your birth mother? They were absolutely supportive. They were absolutely supportive. At one point, uh, they they paid for a plane ticket for me to go out and meet her. I went out there and stayed out there for a week and a half, two weeks, maybe in two thousand and. Five or two thousand and six, seven, eight or nine, so yeah. right around. I know that's a large range of years, but <laughs> so between two thousand and six, 
and 2009, they, they paid for me to go out there for a week. And, and then do you have any siblings from your adopted family? Yes, I do. I have a lot of half siblings. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, so a lot of from your birth family or from your- my birth mother. I have, um, my brother, Andrew and my sister, Carmen, she's older. He's younger. Um, Interesting, right? Yeah. One older, one younger. Things were bad in between, I guess. Um, but they were all from the same dad? No. Or? Okay. All different. My sister Carmen's father passed away. My father uh, was doing some philandering, and I think either my half-brother Brian or Dewey, I think that was the one that he had knocked someone else up with while my mother was pregnant with me. And then my brother Andrew, his father, and my mother, uh, I believe, just split up. But his father, his father has passed away since, and my biological father has passed away too. Yeah. So, um, so what my was- biological mother is either killing a lot of men or um, just choosing the wrong one. Doesn't ones, have or- the best luck. But what? So, but in terms of your the family you raised, your adopted family, did you had siblings there as well. Yeah, my brother Christopher. So Christopher, how did he feel when you were kind of I, exploring? I haven't really talked with him about it. I yeah. mean, I have, but he keeps that close, and I've always told him that I would help him find his biological parents if he wants. And um, my my biological mother, Marcy, is also very involved in helping um, children reconnect with their biological parents. So, bo- so both of you guys were adopted? Yes. Okay. Um, so you, you, wow. you, you go out to Chicago, 2000, any, some, sometime between 2006 and 2009. I go out to Illinois. You go out to Illinois. That's right. Chicago, there's Chicago and there's Illinois. Right. It's a, they're it's, two very different yes, places no. for anyone who's been in West central Illinois. Like if you drive, you know, two hours, two and a half hours North West from St. Louis, is it? I think you like end up in the middle of Illinois, right? You know, 45 minutes South of the capital Springfield is like a, it's like living in another country. Yeah. So you're you're there. What's what's going through your mind when you meet uh, your mother Marcy for the first time? It was like it was very normal. I was very comfortable. Um, when the first time I met her, she was with a friend of hers. Uh, him, her, and me. We went up to his uh, hunting lodge in Wisconsin. I think I slept for the first two days. Cause I had been like using meth, like, like literally till the airplane landed. Yeah. So I was like real excited when I met her. And then I think I crashed for like two days and then we went back to her house in Illinois and, and it was, it was a great week. Yeah. I like meeting my two nieces from my sister um, and my nephew from my brother, who was very young at that time um, was just really special. I really connected with my two nieces who now have a younger brother that I haven't met yet, but hopefully I'll meet one day. All right. So how long were you in Illinois for at that time? Just a week. Okay. So like a visit. Just a visit. Okay. But eventually you wound up, that was your stop before coming to Connecticut. Yeah. I wound up going back for between four and six months. It was, um, it was, it was interesting. I was looking for a change. I, it was, it just felt logical. I went out there and eventually I ended up moving out of my mother's house, which is normal for, you know, a 25 year old to do, but I had kind of moved into, into a place and had moved into old patterns. I was like selling crack. I wasn't using it, selling it. And, um, you know, just 
my I, my trailer got raided. It made the front page of the Cass County Star Gazette, which was a paper that had a weekly printing. Right. Right. So it stayed on the fucking newsstand for a week. <laughs> so your trailer is front page news. Yeah. Front page news. That's when I knew I got to get out of here. Yeah. So that that's a kind of a. Catalyst. I got raided. They didn't even find anything. I believe my the girl that I was living with, and then the roommate that we had living there, um, I think got caught with like a weed scale and like a dime bag of weed, and I just got taken down and questioned and let go because I had hid that crack under the bumper of the landlord's truck that he had across the street. So if the Cass County sheriffs are listening, you guys fucked up on that one, and there's nothing you can do about it now. <laughs> So not a fucking thing. So then yeah, it's time to time to fly, time to get out of Cass County. Oh yeah, I hopped on an Amtrak. Yeah. Which was awesome. So Amtrak and then did you know where you were going at that point? Yeah, I was coming to Milford. How now why Milford? I had a great job offer that I had had before I even went to Illinois just to come and do construction after Hurricane Sandy, do electrical work and stuff with a with a guy who was married to my mom's friend from when they were children okay. in New York City. So um, I I just figured, uh, what do I have going on here? I have really have nothing going on. Uh, and that was just somewhere to go, and it ended up being the best thing I ever did. All right, so you are you come to Milford. Yeah, Rose, uh, it was, it was, her name is Roseanne Vinci, my mom's friend. She's like a second mother to me. She, she really is. Her and her husband, Dan, really are the ones that – saved my life just by opening their home to me, giving me a place to live rent-free for six months so I could get on my feet and uh, kind of allowing me to have responsibility and stuff that people hadn't given me up to that point because I of my kind of – my reputation preceded me. Yeah. So it was kind of like a real eye-opener and a shocker. You know, like the first time Dan handed me a credit card to go get materials for a job, I'm like, wow, this guy's giving me a credit card. Doesn't think I'm going to run off with it, which was never really my thing. But you kind of get stigmatized as a criminal. Well, so I mean, you you come to Connecticut; it's kind of a clean slate. Yeah, clean slate, 100. percent Have I have some great friends? Uh, good friend of mine, Matt. Yeah, he, uh, he lived next door to Danny. He worked for Danny too, so it was like we kind of like clicked up right away. And then my friend group that I have now, I've all met through him, and they've they've really they treat me like family, which is great. It's a great group of people who have known each other for 20. 30 or more years and I'm lucky to have good friends like that. And you know, but so it's a clean slate but also somebody willing to kind of put a little faith in you. Um you mentioned like in in Illinois when you were with your mom uh that you were kind of getting into some bad habits. Did you get back into bad habits in in Milford or did something kind of happen where Um and by bad habits I'm not talking about using. I I like to uh I like to alter my cognition, which is also the name of my podcast, Altered Cognition. The first episode is out. It's already on Spotify. Who's the first episode with? It's me and my partner, Jesse Green. He is kind of my engineer and, and kind of the guy that I bounce things off of and that keeps the conversation flowing in the right direction. He does the bikes, right? Doesn't he do the mics? Yes, he does. He does. Younger yes, guy, he does. right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I know who he is. Yes, he's a great He's a great videographer. He's a, he's a video guy. Great photographer took my headshots. If you need headshots, um, it's at Apple Pineman 
on Instagram. You oh, that's Apple Pine then. Okay. Yeah, that's Apple Pine. That's Apple Pine nobody yeah. knows who he is. No idea. But I got the friend request and I saw, you know, I always look like who who, do, who else does this person know? And there, if there's enough overlap, I'm like, sure, I'll accept the request and follow. But that's Apple Pineman. Interesting. Yeah, and it's like sometimes you look and see if they know people and it's like two of your friends that you know are pussy hounds. And it's like a, a, a profile with a picture of a hot chick. So you know it's just a thirst trap. And you're like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So the, uh, kind of I, I, still, I still get high, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm a medical card holder. So I still smoke. I still, I still like you know. I'm having my you know my nice beer right now. Sure. It, you know it's it's five o'clock somewhere. Well, it's a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Exactly. But it, but it, it is afternoon, barely, but it's afternoon. But in other words, you weren't getting in trouble with the law. No, I'm not. I don't do anything now. Where if I got arrested for it, I would be ashamed to tell my parents. They would be upset with me for whatever. But I have no, I have no ethical quandaries. Okay. I have I have no qualms about telling my parents, "Hey, I got arrested because I had a bunch of weed." Well, it was for me, and I'm an adult, and I can do what I want. I'm not hurting nobody but my body. So you, but 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 it's like something happened in once you got here that kind of it feels like to be. And tell me if I'm wrong or if I'm overthinking it, but it was somewhat life changing for you. Well, I fucking grew up, and I think I think a lot of that had to do with. Facing issues that affect you subconsciously. I think everybody has issues that affect them deep down and either they don't want to confront them or they don't know how to confront them. So until something brings those to the forefront or gives you answers to those unanswered questions that you have and being adopted, there's a lot of unanswered questions. So I think going to Illinois and really having that time with my mother, which was amazing and great. And I love her so much. Um, for opening her home to me and her life and, 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 and being as great as she is. Um, somebody's robbing your house. No, that's barking. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just the dogs, man. Um, so when does comedy come into play? When, when, when do you like scratch that itch to, to start kind of performing? Cause I know you, you were a hip hop performer. Um, and I was always a class clown. I was always this. I have a hard time believing. Yeah. Right. Um, I was always, you know, I was always trying to be quick or witty or, you know, something of that nature. I'm not, I'm never the funniest one in my friends group. I leave that for other people because there's just some real characters that I hang out with. But um, I I think the comedy itch came into play. It's really, really what, what drove me toward comedy is like maybe a couple years ago, two, three years ago, starting to listen to Joey Diaz's podcast, Rogan's podcast, going back and listening to all of the ones from both of them since episode one. I'm a voracious consumer of podcasts. Um, And I just kind of started seeing, especially from the church or what's happening now, how Joey breaks down comedy and how it's almost like – it's almost like perfectly suited for me just – because it's all about psychology and about connecting with the audience and about telling your story and – and it's I think it's I think it's like the next logical step for someone like me. You know, it's interesting, you know, because you say, you know, you, you don't try to be the funniest person in, in the friend group. And I think that's probably true, I would think, for most comics, because there's a difference between being the funny guy at the office or the funny guy, you know, at the party and and then being able to actually go up on stage and make other people laugh because 
you know, there's, I don't think like, I don't think the funniest people like at a party can do what you do on no, stage. Cause you can't be spontaneous and funny, you know, five nights a week. And I'm not funny five nights a week, but I try to be funny more often than not. And, um, I think as long as you can connect with people, whereas if you're like the funny guy at the office, I don't know if you're necessarily, it's, it's not the same as it's, you're being witty, right? You know, it's topical stuff. Maybe you're just funny looking. I don't know, but (laughs) comedy is really something different. You really have to be kind of a sociologist. You have to kind of really be able to read people and read the audience and, and, um, like my favorite thing, my, like Joey Diaz, my favorite thing, um, he says, like, you have to ask them if they're willing to take the ride with you. And then once you know they're willing to take the ride with you, you got to bring them on the ride. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's, and that's why I think there's a difference between people who like get up and just try and tell jokes versus people who get up and, and really do make that connection with the audience. That's what I try to do. And sometimes it's risky because it's not always the, for me, I'm not at the point yet where I'm, fully writing a joke or, or really scripting out a joke as thoroughly as some comics who I know who are real killers. I'm just more trying to get that connection and then riff off of ideas that I have. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I've done shows where I feel like I've brought the room down and then I've done shows where I get lots of blank stares and sometimes you can see some people are getting mad. Yeah. And I think those are the most fun because when you see people getting mad, you can just hate fuck them with something heinous. <laughs> I know the other week at the Sea Grape, I went up there. I was a little off kilter. Uh, in fact, when another comedian texted me, he goes, hey, man, are you all right? You, you really weren't yourself. But I know the last joke I told after I had had them hate me for a full five minutes was like really to hate fuck them. Yeah. And then some guy's like, oh, mate, you think you're funny, eh? You want to babysit my kids? Eh, fuck off. <laughs> so it, by that, by that, if you can tell which joke I'm talking about, if you've heard my bits, yeah. you're shaking your head. Yeah, you know which one. <laughs> it's the one where I'm, I'm respecting women and I won't let them get on their knees to uh, suck my dick. And I'm not standing on the bed because I'm scared of heights. I won't finish it. Um, but it's limited options at that point. <laughs> well, apparently Crocodile Dundee was at the Sea Grape a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and he was pissed. He did not <laughs> want me to babysit for him. It's a, that's a funny place, though. It's a funny room because you know it's 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 kind of like night and day from from Vinny's place because you you know at Vinny's place anyway you've got a crowd of people who have said they've raised their hand and they've said I want to come see comedy tonight versus the Sea Grape, which is especially those first few open mics at the Sea Grape. It's a bunch of townies at a bar who could probably give a shit that anybody's up there trying to make people laugh. Well, there's the left. If you're on the stage facing the bar, which is actually around, it's an oval, um, oblong bar. Uh, the people on the left side of the bar towards the stage, they're there to pay attention because yeah. now we do have somewhat of a little following, a crowd that will show up for comedy, which is great. Greg and Nick um, – at Nick Scopes and at the Greg Alicious as the, uh, comedy DJ Greg uh, and Nick Scopoletti uh, who run the mic. They have done an amazing job turning it from more than a mic into a free comedy show. Yeah. It's a it's a curated show of the best and worst talent in uh, Fairfield County. Yeah, that's a great way to actually put it. I did not come up with that. <laughs> I believe that that's Greg that came up with that. Um, he really is an international man of mystery, that guy. Uh, well, he is actually – speaking of Greg – Greg Alpern is going to be 
the first guest on my podcast. And we're going to talk about, we're going to kind of peel back some of the layers of the onion so you guys can kind of understand who he is and where he's coming from. And I'm real excited for that. Oh, I, 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 that'll be on my playlist as soon as it's available. So that's going to be episode three. It probably won't be available until next week because we're recording episode two tonight, which is going to be me and Jesse again. And then this Tuesday, we're going to record, um, Greg. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to do two episodes a week of the Altered Cognition podcast, one with a guest and one without. So is it, and as long as we're talking about it, is it available on iTunes yet? Or It is available on iTunes. I kept checking uh, the service we are using to upload the podcast right now to the RSS feeds is uh, not the best. Uh, and we will be switching shortly once we get some capital flowing. But uh, it takes about two days to upload to the iTunes, so we're going to have to compensate for that. And um, once this first episode is up, the first episode is up on Spotify right now. And you know what? By the time this podcast releases, when does this come out? This will come out uh, – well, I have to record an intro and an outro. Um, hopefully I can do that today. If I do that today, it will be out tomorrow morning. Okay, perfect. So then um, it should be out by then on yeah. iTunes. It's available on anywhere you get podcasts. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. It's called Altered Cognition. Altered and, Cognition. And it is it is going to be great. I'm really excited about it. It's kind of my baby now. I'm I'm really interested in giving people uh not only a view into my mind, but a view into minds of many different people from many different walks of life. We're going to do a lot of funny stuff. We're going to have a lot of fun, but we're also going to take a serious look into uh the different ways that people live their lives and Yeah. And, and and what kind of shapes their thinking. A sociological exploration so, or anthropological, something illogical. It's fucking very logical. Very logical. <laughs> nanu, nanu. Um, <laughs> live long and prosper. So uh, let, let's talk to me about the first time you went up and did stand up. Where where was it? Was it at Vinny's or was it? Yeah, it was at Vinny's. So I'm, I have the Stress Factory holds a very special place in my heart. Um. Because it's kind of where I'm been cutting my teeth and and where I'm not done cutting my teeth yet. They're just like kind of taking shape, maybe one or two of them. But um, <laughs> it's it's a very special place for me. I remember the first time I went up was kind of a disaster. I had invited many people. I probably had – I wish it would have been a bringer show. I think I had 10 people there to see me and it was just crickets. I had a three-minute long dissertation on things I thought were funny written, memorized word for word, off book, by the way. And I had written it that afternoon because yeah. I'm a, I'm a definite procrastinator. Um, and I just went up there and recited it with no connection to the audience, no real emotion. And uh, I probably looked at my feet the whole time. I don't know why I'm, I'm comfortable speaking in front of people. I guess it was just, I didn't know if it was funny and it is funny because I've used some of those jokes again. Yeah. But just been able to do it in a different way. I didn't pause for any laugh breaks. I didn't. You have to tell people when to laugh. When you're doing comedy, you have to tell people when to laugh, especially if you're a little bit edgier. You have to give them permission. Well, that that's the thing. But it sounds like you, you came away from that experience with like lessons learned right away. Um, but also, but look, it, it is an odd thing. Like I, I I approached my first one the same way. I had three pages written out. Um, and 
you know, and I, I, I did, I think I did reasonably well, although I, I rewatch it because I record everything I do and I rewatch it and I'm like, Oh God, I, you know, that wasn't as great as I thought it was, but it, you know, you're, you're comparing yourself in the moment to everybody else who went up and I, I record uh, an audio recording of every set that I've ever done. I try to make myself listen to it on the way home. Sometimes I get halfway through it and then I stop. Yeah. It never sounds as good as the laughter did on stage. No, it doesn't. It never does. It doesn't. You need better mics. You need better mics. I need mics. better jokes. <laughs> or better jokes. <laughs> I was trying to help you out there. But 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 see what's fascinating to me is okay, so you go up, you got ten people, you know, who you brought there, you feel like you didn't do a good job. And you may not have. I, it's not that I – oh, the first time, no, I did not yeah. do a good job. I did a horrible job. But what, I guess what I want to get to is a lot of people would, would say, I, I tried it once. I'm never doing this again. But you've gone back for more. Look at me. You, you were like, oh, you went up there. You didn't do it. I was like, no, wait. I, I always do a great job. But you were talking that. <laughs> I got a real big ego. Um, no, I did a horrible job. And I still sometimes do a horrible job where, I mean, I always give it my all. But – um, there's always room for improvement. I think even when you reach the upper echelons and the top tiers of anything, that's um, your ability to excel in things is indicative of your ability to go back and say there's always room for improvement. Right. But true. But you, you know, you didn't give up though. That's no, the thing. no, no. Because that's I've had. I went to comedy college. I'm doing the online course. It's called the Church of What's Happening Now. You listen to enough of Joey Diaz's podcast, and I'm telling you, it's like a comedy college. Yeah, I love the ones with just him and Lee, where he breaks it down and he goes real deep. Um, it and the man, I haven't done it, but from what he says, if you message him with a question about comedy, he even tries to answer it. Yeah. So, but so, but but you know, you've got you've got a sense that this is a calling, right? This is some kind of a vocation for you. You don't always kill it. You don't always kill it. Um, and something also, if you do like bar open mics, you have to learn that like there's – it's night and day, a bar open mic in the Stress Factory or yeah. the Sea Grape. Even though the Sea Grape is a bar show, uh, the Sea Grape now has more of a comedy following. Yeah. It's kind of a better gauge. So the Stress Factory is a better gauge. You go to the – was it the Hartford – is it the Funny Bone or the Laugh Factory? The Elbow Room the, or – No, the- up there in the mall. Oh, I don't know. Uh, it's the funny bone. Maybe the funny I, bone. I did the mic up there. That's a better gauge. Um, like it was Sam Hunter who told me. He goes, I, you know, I miss doing a, more bar open mics, just going into bars and angrily yelling at people. And that's when it kind of clicked for me. You got You can, you kind of work on certain things. You kind of see what you can do. You kind of kind of find different ways to grab people's attention, but don't let that be indicative of how you're thinking your comedy right. is. I said the word indicative like six times. That's okay. I'm not counting. I don't know but why I'm saying that so much. I think it sounds very smart. When I put the word cloud of this interview, to, when I put the word cloud of this interview together, we'll see how big indicative comes up. Um, do you really have a word cloud? I can make a word cloud. I can make a word cloud. Why? Is, is this going to be transcribed as well? No, I could transcribe it though if I wanted to. How? There's like some software out there. I mean, I do a lot of like stuff with, um, I interview people for a living. So a lot of time for clients, I'll have to get transcriptions of the interviews, especially if I do a video edit on it. So then I could just copy and paste the text, boom, put it in uh, something called Wordle online, 
JavaScript based. Wow. Um, your father would be proud. And uh, yeah, then it would um, it come up with the work cloud. That's awesome. It's kind of neat. Yeah. So that's a powerful tool. You could take audio from a video of your set. Oh sure. And transcribe it. Yeah. I need to get I need to get up on that. The um, but what what I think is interesting because you said before that you know not every open mic goes great and you're trying new things, but that's the whole point of an open mic is not to, every show goes great. Yeah. You'll do something in the early show that'll murder. And at the late show, people will look at you like like you just kicked their dog. What different people, right? Well, yeah, it's, it's a different audience, but it's the same material in yeah. the same place. What's going on? The context is everything, though. It's like th- that room is different. The energy is different. The people are different. Exactly. The that's, expectations are different. That's why it's just such an amazing art because it allows you to really connect with people. Yeah. And when you get it right – and the people are filing out of the auditorium and they're filing out of the room and they come by and they shake your hand and they look you in the eye and they say, you were funny. Good job. We had a great time. That's what makes you keep coming back. It's like playing golf. It's that one good putt, that one good drive, yeah. that one chip shot that just misses the cup by three inches and rolls two pasts that you're like – be back next that, weekend. That's a, that's a great analogy. That's it's a great analogy. Weekend. For the golfers out there, though, they'll, they'll get that right away. And when you get those last, like I, I think the the ecstasy from getting the big laugh is like similar to holding out a, a sand shot. I, I I have a friend who always asks me like when this person knows I go up, they're like, "How did it go?" And if I have a good night and I feel good about it. I, I will basically explain that it's like it's like an erection. Like it gets you that excited to that you did something to make people laugh in, in like a big way, you know. And it's big. It's really big. Um, it, it can change somebody's uh, somebody's day. It's like just a smile can change somebody's day. It can change somebody's night. It can keep somebody alive. It can give somebody a reason. It can let them know that their life's not that bad. It can let them know that fucked up shit happens to everybody. Um, And I think that's actually a great segue because right now I want to challenge a couple comics. I had a great idea last night. I'm challenging any comics who listen to this to come to me and talk to me about this because this is something I feel really strongly about and I want to pursue passionately. I want to put together a charity show. I want to feed about 40 or 50, maybe 60 people who are not eating every day. I want to feed them dinner. Maybe they live on the streets, and then I want to do a comedy show for them See, and let them laugh. So they're the audience. They come in. Yeah, they come in. We feed them. We hang out with them. We talk with them, and then we sit them down, and we do a comedy show for them. And I think I think that would be an appreciative crowd. I think those would be laughs. That would mean a lot. So how much – How much? like is we have to – we'd have to come up with the, the money to actually – Feed them. Feed them. and That's fine. We could go through um, – there's many churches – uh, there's there's many organizations we could try to we could try to partner with the Bridgeport Rescue Mission, which I think is absolutely amazing. They already feed people, and if you if you need a worthy cause to give money to, it's local. Uh, give it to the Bridgeport Rescue Mission because they're saving people's lives. So there's I mean two thoughts, three thoughts I have about that. And the first is um, I'm a big believer that comedy has to go where comedy is needed. 
right? So you're, I think you're on point. Like we, you need to find a way to make these people who, you know, have nothing, um, like feel like they're valued and, and give them like a positive emotional experience. Not only that, I've been, I've been locked out. Some of them, it's worse than locked out. I'm not talking about locked out from like, you know, your old lady for a night. I've been locked out of the house yeah. for longer periods of time. I have family members who suffer from mental illness and, 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 and for, you know, almost three years, chronic homelessness. And, um, it's a cause that's near to my heart. I think there's like comedy is really about exposing the, um, I don't know, different things about the human condition. Sure. And I think the human condition is really important, all all aspects of it. It's not just about people who can afford to come to a club and spend 20 bucks and then drop 40 bucks on food and drink because let's face it, you know that that $25 show is going to cost you $50 because a drink is $12 at the comedy club. Yeah. That's how they make their money. You got to expect that. You can't be mad. Right. That's how it is. But I think laughter is needed everywhere. So I'm wondering if, if there's like two parts to this. One could absolutely be the show that you do for them, but another could just be a general fundraiser that you could do using comics as the draw to bring in donors. Well, comics could be the draw for the donors. We could do a show. I'm like, I like how we're working this out on yeah. the air. We're working this out on the podcast. We could do a show where all the proceeds go to buy the food or go – you know, to, to set the thing up and then anything that's not used, we give to the Bridgeport rescue mission. Yeah. Um, I think the audience is kind of, it's there. Look, if you give these people a place to get out of the heat for an hour, they're coming out of the heat. Right. I mean, the show would be great. So let's say, let's say, and I'm just, I'm just brainstorming here, but let's say you reach out or, or a group of people reaches out to, like the the donor base for this would would you know one one part of that donor base could be like people who are involved in like church ministries right now. Right? Oh, of course, because there's there's uh, no, I'm not saying they have an abundance of things to give away, but there's uh, there's a lot of churches that do amazing work. I, I know a lot of re- people are down on religion now. It's like not a it's not a cool thing. But uh, you can't deny the fact that there's a lot of religious organizations and and lay people involved with religious organizations that just do tremendous work and really care about the communities that they live in and the communities that they worship in. So we pull those, we pull them into, let's say we pull them into the stress factory in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Oh, it would be great to do it in the stress factory, but I don't think they'd let us have homeless people in there. I think we'd have to rent an auditorium. Yeah, what I'm thinking though is like, like again, two aspects. Like one, But then again, be, don't count Vinny out. Yeah, don't would, count Vinny out. They do teacher appreciation night, police appreciation yeah. night. Vinny's not a stranger to charity. I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying that. Yeah. But I'm wondering if like there's there's two shows like one is the fundraising show where you're bringing in the donors and the other is the show you're putting on. Yes, I think the fundraising show would be great to approach Vinny about. So if we did a fundraising show with a bunch of uh, I don't want to say holy rollers, but, you know, people who are kind of act. So you're communicating this. Hey, come to the show through. Church bulletins, right? Through through church bulletins, we're going to bring the church people in and we're going to light them on fire with the words that we use. They're going to instantly ignite into flame once a few of us go up on stage. I was going to say, what happens when (laughs) Connor Simcox starts talking about eating cum shots in the dust bowl? Like... 
I mean, some of those church people lived through the Dust Bowl, so they may understand. Right. <laughs> they have memories. I have remember. No, church, is, church is an old folks game these days. It is. I'm it telling is. you. But, I mean, we're feeding people. We could use – we're not necessarily bringing church – we're bringing comedy people in to donate from the, for the comedy Dude, show. Where through church bulletins, maybe we could approach some organizations and try to get some money from them. You're talking about a local version of comic relief. Yes. Do you remember comic relief from the yes. 80s? Billy Crystal. I mean I don't and, remember it from yeah. the 80s, but I, I know of it. Yes. Yeah, I remember it. Uh, Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, Whoopi Goldberg. They were the three people who came together to put that on. And uh, But that's what it is. And that's, that's the pitch to Vinny, you know? Well, I may not be the funniest guy out there. I think I am, but I may not be. And um, no one I know may be the funniest guy out there. But uh, I know that the only way to succeed is to constantly give back blessings that you've received to those that need them more. And I think just through doing the right thing, it's obviously it's great press. You'll get great press from doing something like yeah. this. I'm not going to lie and say that's not a large motivation but at the same time, you're sharing, and you're going to get a great feeling, and you're going to and you're going to put great energy out into the universe, and good things are going to come back. Well, you're you're it's it's, it's the whole pay it forward principle, but it's also the principle of hey, there's one thing to to say or say that you're a good person, but another thing to actually do some good deeds and changing in the spirit of helping change or bring a smile to another person. Yeah, and that's why, you know, I really am. I want to challenge com- comics, Connecticut comics, CT comics. I want to challenge you guys to to really get on board with this. We'll make this happen. We'll make this a real thing. We'll, we, we will bring you 60, 70 people that are ready to laugh, that need a laugh. And I know that all of you guys are more than capable of bringing the laughter. So... Yeah, this could be something big. It's a it's this a great idea. Huge. It's a great idea. So, what's um what's coming up uh, outside of the regular open mic schedule? Well, what what's coming, coming up? up? Okay, August fifth. Since this is going to be out tomorrow morning, since Mike's going to record an amazing intro and outro, maybe I'll even help him do it <laughs> um, before the day's over. He, he he doesn't even have shoes on right I now. Got He's no got shoes. nothing else. I got to no do. shoes. He barely has pants on right now. Okay, <laughs> they're about Jeez to come Louise. off. Oh my gosh. And I'm about to get out of here. Um, <laughs> but, no, but uh, August 5th at the Seagrate, we have the headliner, James Haliva. Uh, he's, I've heard, hilarious. He's the dirty boy of comedy. The guy wrote a fucking book. Can't, can't, can't be a dummy to write a book. So, um, yeah, well, those, those, are, uh, those are four of mine right there. But um, here's the thing. I've been reading. I'll give you one of those if you want. Only if you sign it. I'll sign it for you. So I was I – because was, now because I, I write – so, and I'm like, okay, so I saw this James Haliva or Haluva. Haliva. Haliva. And I'm like, okay, this guy's written a book. Let me see what it's all about. So Did you read it? I went to Amazon and I read the reviews. And the reviews are, he's got a lot of positive reviews, like 157 reviews, which is great for an independent author. Um, and I'm reading it and I'm like, I got to read this friggin' book. Just the female reviews of his book. Makes me want to read the damn book. Well, he's a self-proclaimed dirty boy of comedy. Yeah. And I'm pretty unclean myself. <laughs> so I think we could be good friends. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I actually talked to him on the phone the other day. Did you? I called him on Facebook Messenger because I was dropping an Instagram promo and I wanted to know how to pronounce his name. Yeah. And I couldn't get a fucking hold of Greg on a Friday night or so. I was pissed. Jeez Louise, Greg, step your game up. But, um... You know, 
I called him on the phone. I talked to him, and he and he's it's 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 going to be a good thing. So it's me, Nick Scopoletti, Cody Cody Marino, Courtney Davis, Ben Kirsch, Sam Hunter, Alyssa Goji. Alyssa's not going to be there. Alyssa's not going to be, be there. Yeah, that was a mistake. I talked to her yesterday. They put her on a fucking post. Well, Scopoletti was uh, he, there was Just a miscommunication. He was like, "Oh, I hope Alyssa's there." I that think, would make my night better. I think he's dreaming about Courtney Davis. She's she's a she's a kept woman. She's married. Did you did you see her set and her friends Olga's set? The her other friend night? Olga was half in the bag. I went up to oh. her afterwards and I said, "Look, I know that you're half in the bag." Um, and you were actually really funny. She was hysterical. She was hysterical. Courtney's Courtney's very funny too. I'm really excited to see her set. I'm really oh, excited yeah. to see how her set is going to juxtapose with the absolute um blasphemy that's going on. That's going to be coming out of my mouth. <laughs> I'd like to either introduce her or James. Courtney can hang. There's no doubt oh, about yes, it. Oh yes, she can. Courtney can hang. She's 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 pretty cool. Um, and very funny. I think she's very funny. Very, very funny. So check it out. August 10th. So August 5th, we're at the Seagrave at 8 p.m. That's actually today. If you're listening to this, that's today. Get your ass so to the Seagrave tonight. Make sure you're there. It's a free show. We got drink specials. We got $3 beers, fucking 50-cent wings. That's not a drink. That's a food. Don't try to drink the wings. You'll fucking choke to death. Um, August 10th, I'm at Greenwich Village Comedy Club. 5.30 seating. Now, look. I know, I know you guys want to come to this ho- show hosted by Manny Sierra. Manny Sierra, I can never say his fucking Sierra, name. Sierra, right? right? Sierra? Manny Sierra. Look, Manny, I can't say his fucking name right for anything. I know you guys want to come to the show August 10th, Greenwich Village Comedy Club at 5.30 p.m. But if you cannot make it all the way to New York City, Unhinged Comedy oh, yeah, it is. is hosting a show. At Fairfield Craft Ales in Stratford, Connecticut. You don't have to go far if you're a local Connecticut guy. If you're out of the state, you have to go far for either show. But if you're local, come to Stratford or Fairfield Craft Ales in Stratford. I believe the show starts at? Uh, I think 7.30. And you might even hear uh, uh, Mike Carlin on that show. Oh, oh yeah. shit. That's right. Carlito got the nod from uh, the Unhinged Boys. Nice. nice. So it's me, Katie Vondermalen. Mean Gene McKenna, the most dangerous man in comedy. Not recessive Gene McKenna, because <laughs> recessive Gene McKenna can only show up if his twin shows up. I mean, he could show up, but he can't go on stage unless his twin shows up. <laughs> so it's Gene McKenna, not recessive Gene. Courtney Davis will be at that show, along with um, Giancarlo. Is, uh, Giancarlo Biondino is probably one of the funniest guys that I know, and he's so unassuming. Yeah, he's he's just he's very he's very kind, very approachable. Very quiet. Very quiet. And then he just goes on stage and just – it's like he just brings bottles of gasoline in his pocket, yep. douses everybody, and then throws matches at them. Yep. And, of course, he lights the room on fire every time he's on stage. Yes. yes. And Nick, Nick Scopoletti, Courtney Davis also on that show. And now check it out. I, this, is, this is the one that's uh, kind of near and dear to me. This is going to be great. August 31st. It's going to be at 8 o'clock p.m., that's when the show is going to start seating. Uh, you better be there. It is featuring myself, Ernest Bailey, Jack Stannard, Craig McGee, Alex Tomaselli, Nick Scopoletti, 
Connor Simcox, and Dan Brown. It is at The Grove. It is presented by my company, Addicted Entertainment, and Unhinged Comedy. It's a bring-your-own-booze show, so there's no drink minimum. It's just $15 to get in. The Grove is located at 158 Bridgeport Avenue in Milford. Stand-up comedy night at The Grove, Saturday, August 31st. 8 p.m. You're going to fucking laugh till your side splits. I hope to see you there. That's a good group of comics. We have such a good group of guys. <laughs> There's like 20 of us that are just destined for 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 bigger things. If we all stick with it, we're destined for bigger things and and we're close and I think there's like a lot of respect for each other and and a lot of camaraderie and it just feels really good to be in a scene that has that going on. So besides yourself, of course. Um who if you had to look at all the guys, right? If you had to look at all the guys, give me a short list. Who's who's making it? Who's and not and not to say that people aren't going to make it, but I, who do you have a good I, feeling about? Who do you have a good feeling about? Ernest Bailey. Ernest Bailey. Interesting choice. He does the poem, right? The poem? He does a lot more than poems. <laughs> I've only seen him in those like little three-minute increments. Some dude told him he was going to throw him through a window at a bar, and Ernest does not look like the type of guy that's going to fight. And he told the dude he would smash him through the metal fence behind him, and the dude backed down. He was about to nut up real quick. Ernest Bailey is a, is, is a book that many of you have read like the Cliff Notes, but you really need to read the whole book. So Okay, so Ernest Bailey's on the short list. You're really making me do this. Well, I'm just curious as to what you think. Because there's going to be six, seven, eight, nine, ten people that I leave off that are going to fucking hate me now. As if I don't have enough fucking uh, hate that comes my way. There is some hate that comes my way because I just don't give a fuck. And there's a lot of people that wish that they didn't give a fuck or wish that – I don't know. Well, look at the name of that book on top. All the fucks I cannot give by Mike go. Carlin. That's- Pick it up on Amazon in paperback, ebook, and I'm sure you can get a hard buy the hard copy. Buy the buy the hard the hey, hard. Let's not forget the audio. The audio. No, book. buy the fucking hard cover. Do you read your own books? I have read them multiple times. No, do you do the audio? Do you read? Oh your no, own no, no. So I so I had um I had the guy from the Adam Carolla show. Um, his name is Mike Dawson. Who's the announcer for the Adam Carolla show? Do the All the Fucks audiobook. I would love to do an audiobook of yours. Oh, the, you know what? We'll uh, we'll figure one out. And and it's a bitch to record though. No, you need to hire a sound engineer because I don't have the patience for that's it. That's fine, but well, I don't need to hire. A sound I'll engineer. hire the sound you engineer. Do. You've got to do the reading. But hey, check it out. I'll do it for free. There you go. That's all right. I just sold myself way short, but um, <laughs> no, you're gonna love it. I think that would be great. So. Um, I will say, so a lot of guys are talented, right? A lot of the guys are talented. And what I really love about the scene is just seeing how far so many of them have come since, I mean, look, I'm a baby in this. but Look at Ben Kirsch. I was going to say Ben Ben Kirsch Kirsch is a baby in real life. (laughs) I know, but that kid, he, first of all, friendly kid. Fearless. Fearless. And he just, like, he just takes that mic, he starts shouting into it, and he just never ceases to make me laugh. He's been really, really. He jumped on the express train, I yeah. think, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, eighteen and years he ain't old and off yet. No, he's uh, he's, re- he's really he's really started exploding. The kid's not even old enough to go into a fucking bar, and he's coming to bar shows. <laughs> That's right. He's either sneaking in the back. He's getting permission. He's got a permission slip from his parents. I get a kick. I get a kick. That sounds so fucking patronizing. I laugh my ass off at Connor Simcox. Not at him, with him. So polished. 
polished, but I that show that you guys did in Ridgefield um, when his mom was there. His mother was such a sweetheart. She took a picture with me. A saint, saint of a woman. She wanted to take a picture with me. I was looking at her when he's going through his, you know, his bit where he's talking about having sex, and his mother's in the room next to him, and she's watching The Voice. And <laughs> well, I mean, you can see where he gets his kind of good looks from. She's a good looking All woman. from his mother. She's a good looking woman. It's too bad she's a lesbian. Is she really a lesbian? I don't know. That was kind of the vibe I got. I think you're now you're outing someone <laughs> and it's not, you know, she was there. I don't want to go into it. Dude, I, Connor's going to be mad. He's going to laugh, whatever. No, but he, uh, but I'm, I'm when he, when he's delivering his line about, about, uh, I like to do all my objectification of women in HD and he puts on the glasses. I'm looking at the mom and she's there laughing, smiling. I'm like, first of all, special woman. Like, well, that may, I mean, who knows? You know, they had, hey, maybe the first woman he ever objectified. <laughs> um, so anyway, I guess we can move off of the topic of. Look uh, at how red you just turned. I talked about someone fucking their mom and all bets, all cards are off the table. Dude, Jeez I, Louise, what's going on? I here? watch a lot of stepmom porn. Do you? Well, fair amount. You know, but what's your stepmom look like? I don't have a stepmom. So why are you watching stepmom porn? Well, it's what comes up when you go on the. You know, it's not. It's what comes up if you type in stepmom porn. Well, maybe I should change my Google search. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you should stop searching for stepmom porn. (laughs) All right, so you got a lot of shows coming up, um, uh, and and let's uh, because you know you're you're got the second um, you're recording your second uh, show of the podcast episode of the podcast Tonight, tonight. Yeah, where. Where, remind everybody who's listening. The Altered Cognition Podcast. You can get it on all platforms, Spotify, iTunes, um, everywhere. It should be up by tomorrow all for right. sure. And I can't wait for the episode with uh, with the Gregalicious. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be amazing. You can also follow me on Instagram at Nick, N-I-C-K underscore A-M underscore. You're a morning man. Is that is that what that means? It means I stay up late. Nice. Nice. Not AM radio. No. Not AM as in uh, No, it was one of my, it was one of my many rap names, Nikki AM. Nikki AM be skating on them hoes. <laughs> well, Nick Breen, this was a true pleasure to talk to you this afternoon. Yeah, this was great. I really enjoyed it. A great way to spend a Sunday morning or well, afternoon. Hopefully I don't get arrested on my way back home. Well, just you know, I think I think you'll be okay. I saw Two Bentleys on the road on my way here. I may get arrested on the way out. (laughs) Well, very good, Nick. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much, Mike. It was a pleasure. There you have it, everybody. That's my interview with Nick Breen. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed talking to Nick. Very fascinating guy. And I got to tell you, one of the most insightful and um, intelligent um, guys uh, I've spoken to in a long time. Um, so uh, do me a favor. If you like this, please share it with everybody that you know who you think would be interested in it. I mean, I don't know if your mom will be interested in it. I know my mom wouldn't. Um, but uh, yes, please share it. Also, if you want to learn more about me, uh, please visit MikeCarlin.com. That's C-A-R-L-O-N. The O always throws people off. So I always say Carlin with an O and not an I. And from all of us here at Uncorking a Story, I'm your host, Open Mike Carlin, saying thank you for listening. And until next time. Nikki, I am be skating on them hoes.